0: Hi, my name is Michael Tuck and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Please, if you're staying in Big Church, so, you know, the Bible talks about out of the mouth of babes, right? So one little child today said, Pastor Jimmy, where'd you get your silly shirt? <laughs> Man, I really liked it, but I don't know if I'm going to wear it ever again, so. so I got my silly shirt on this morning. And Steve did pass away this week. Uh, he was able to come home and uh, passed peacefully at home with Carolyn and uh, Amanda there's not going to be a reception here afterwards, uh, after the funeral. They, uh, I think Carolyn said people can come by the house, that sort of thing. If you want to take some food by there, that's, that's absolutely fine. And, and uh, Monk, I'll tell you one thing about, uh, from your intro there. I remember sharing with someone uh, about Jesus one night. One evening, I went to their house and got to visit with them. It was a great visit. We got to share for a long time, and I got to tell them about Jesus. But when I walked away, I said, wow, they, they definitely don't know the Lord. And then they came by a couple of days later, came by my office and sat in my office, and they said, I want to be baptized. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you didn't understand anything I said, right? Because they were very adamant. And I said, well, well you know, baptism references us following Jesus. You know, when did you begin to follow Jesus? Thinking he wasn't going to be able to tell me anything. He said, man, the night you came, after you left, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind, and I, I decided to follow Jesus. So we just never know. You know, when we talk about the Lord, what's going to happen down the road, what God's going to do in a person's heart. Today, we've come to the final chapter in our study of the book of Galatians. Like I said, we've got some guests here this morning. We're really glad to have you. Um, But we're coming to the last chapter of the the book of Galatians. It's in our New Testament. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to some churches that are in Central Asia, you know. And um, and so they... um, He's writing them. He's writing them because after he's gone there and led a number of people to follow Jesus and started these little church congregations throughout uh, throughout that area, that uh, some people have come behind him, and these are Jewish Christians that have come behind him, and they are telling these new believers in that uh, area known as Galatia at the time. He, he's telling them that, um, or they're telling them that, hey. You have to also follow the Sinai Covenant. you got to believe in Jesus, but you've got to follow the Sinai Covenant. Specifically, you need to be circumcised, but you need to keep the the Jewish laws of that covenant in order to be righteous before God. Jesus is necessary, they would have said, but he's not enough. You also need to submit yourself to this covenant that God made with people a long time ago. And from last week's analogy, if you were here, uh, Jesus is the app but becoming part of Israel would have been the subscription uh, to the act, app. So Paul is writing this letter to correct that. He's, he's writing it to say, that's not true. The new covenant in Jesus is all that God desires. And the old covenant of the past is in the past. And, um, and we don't need to go back to it. In fact, we, we've made the point over the last two weeks, if you've been here, that if you insist on going back to the old covenant, then Jesus, I mean then Paul says you've missed the new covenant. You don't understand, you've fallen from grace. Those are his words. So if we're not under the laws of the Sinai covenant, how do we know what to do? How do we know to do right? Right? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? How do we know how to live if we're not under that covenant? Well, And that's a question, by the way, that a lot of you've asked me. I mean, in in the weeks that we've been going through this, you've you've asked me that question. Well, Paul tells them that God has clothed us with uh, Yeshua. (laughs) God has clothed us with Jesus. And he's made us the sons and the daughters of God. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within each one of us, to live within us, and to lead us. Paul would tell the Roman church, the Christians in Rome, he would say that God has crucified our sinful desires with Jesus when we put our trust in Jesus and he's given us his spirit to lead us and direct us. I feel certain that Paul would be drawing from this promise in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Listen, just listen. Behold, the days are, this is in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says Yahweh, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says Yahweh, I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts." In fact, I would suggest, well, let me just leave that. The author of Hebrews probably draws, who is probably not Paul, draws on this same passage. And this is what uh, the author says in chapter 10, verse 14. For by, by one offering, by one offering, He, that would be Jesus, has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testified to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin." And so what's really true of both of those passages and of what Paul says all throughout the book of Galatians, it is that we are under a new covenant now with God, the covenant that God had promised, this covenant that he said, I'm going to write my laws on your mind. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And I'll remind you that Paul said last week that that he has set us free, and I told you that he set us free from the Sinai covenant, but that doesn't mean it's a freedom to sin. It's not a freedom to do whatever we want. It's not a freedom to act according to the desires that we have that would be contrary to God's desires. It's actually a freedom to walk in faithfulness to God. It's a freedom to walk in obedience because he's written his laws on our heart and he's given us the spirit who empowers us to live those. It's really a freedom to obey God. And, uh, and it's not a freedom When Paul said last week in chapter 5 verse 1 that he set us free, it's not a freedom from us to do what we desire that goes against the revealed desires of God and the revealed will of God. We may be free from the covenant, but that doesn't mean we're free from the spirit of, uh, of what was behind so many of those laws that sprung from the character of God. Now, I, I got an illustration, and when I got it, I was so excited about it, right? Because I thought it would help you understand what I've been trying to say. I tried it out on our home group Wednesday night, and it flopped, so uh, I'm just hoping you guys are smarter than my home group, right? <laughs> oh, they're gonna hate me for that. All right, let me see if I can't illustrate what I'm trying to say. I, have six, I had six children growing up. They were little. And, and I loved them, and, uh, and I, I wanted them to love each other. And I tell you what, their dad said to them, you are not allowed to hit one another. I don't care how frustrated you are. You are not allowed to hit one another. It's not a proper response for you to do that. And so they, they knew that. That was clear here's the part that's the makeup part, right? But let's just pretend we went along a little ways, and they were older now. And so I said, hey, guys, I'm going to make a contract with you guys. Here's the contract. I've got 10 specific things that I want you to do or not do during the course of the week. And at the end of the week, if you've done those 10 things, I'm going to bless you. I'm I'm going to give you an allowance. I want to give you an allowance. Now, one of those 10 things was that they were not to hit each other during the course of the week. And so being that my kids are my kids, they did a lousy job. I'm making this up, okay? (laughs) Being that they're my kids, they did a lousy job with that contract and they couldn't couldn't get through the week listening to those 10, doing those 10 things that I had set up as a contract for them to get their allowance. So somewhere along the line, I became frustrated with that and I did away with the contract. And so there was no, I told them, listen, there's no more contract for an allowance anymore. You know, there's no more 10 things and you get an allowance. So here's my question. Now that I've done away with the contract, now are they free to hit one another? Are they free to, you remember, are they free to go and hit one another? Because that was one of the things that was in the contract. They weren't to hit one another if they were going to get their allowance. Now that they're not under that contract anymore, are they free to go and, and whack on each other? The answer is, of course, no, right? Why? Because they knew their father's heart. They, they knew what their father had taught them. This is what love is. It's not hitting one another. And just because I added that to a contract that they were to live under doesn't mean that they're now free to go and start hitting one another it's because I've done away with the contract. I see it went over with you guys like it went over with my home group, right? God has written his desires on our heart. Now listen, I, I think... God has written his desires on our heart from the very beginning. Even when we don't even know him, I believe our consciences tell us of God's desires of what's right and wrong. Of course, we can, we can hurt our conscience. We can, we can even sever our conscience, the Bible says. He's given us his word to tell us what his desires are. He's now taken, for those of us who follow Jesus, he writes his words on our hearts so that we know what God's will is. And on top of all of that, he's given us his spirit. So in this new covenant, we don't walk by the laws of the Sinai covenant. We walk by our faith in Jesus. We walk by the spirit of God that he's put in our heart. And it is our faith in Jesus that God gives to us, by our faith in Jesus, that God gives to us the righteousness of God so that we can then walk in the power and direction of his Holy Spirit. Now, as Paul draws this letter to an end, all that was introduction, all that you've heard week after week, but now he's drawing the letter to an end. And as he does, I'm going to suggest to you that chapter six is Paul giving us some specifics of what it looks like if we're walking by the Spirit. In other words, he has the Spirit. He is an apostle. He's telling us when you walk by the Spirit, this is how the Spirit's gonna lead you. These are the ways the Spirit is going to to direct your steps. And in these particular issues, he's gonna tell us, I think in a big way, how to live in community. So there's eight of them. Let's jump in real quickly. Here's the first one. When we walk by the Spirit, we will restore broken people and we won't further tear them down. You know, it's disheartening to me, isn't it, to you? I don't know if we came up with it on our own or somebody said it about us, but we're, we're said to be the only army that, what, kills its wounded, shoots its wounded. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted Let's face it, folks, we're an awfully broken group, right? The reason why God has chosen us is not because we were the cream of the crop and we always got it right and we never, never did wrong and that's why we're the chosen, right? That's not right. That's not true at all. Here's what Paul says about us to Corinth, different different city, different church, but this is what he said. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, justified, sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, by the Spirit of God. That, That was us. We were broken people. We were, God chose us in Jesus, not because we were the cream of the crop, not because we got it right, but because we always got it wrong. And he's always loved people that got it wrong. And he says, and then he washes us and he declares us justified. But nonetheless, we still fail at times. We still fail miserably. Every one of us is capable of falling. And failing, and this is why the hymn we love to sing, you know, uh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Seems like if we've got the spirit, that shouldn't be the case. But even in this letter of, to the Galatians, I mean, we see it. Paul talks about it. It's just, it's easy for us to walk still by the flesh in spite of all the things that God has done for us. And here Paul is telling us, when one of us falls, here's what we do. We take them out and we shame them. And then we trounce them with gossip. And then we parade their failure in front of everybody to see. And we talk about it and we make sure that they never forget how bad they failed. Right? Obviously not. But but isn't that what we tend to do? We tend to gloss over our own failures, but we, we, we tend to take and want to magnify everybody else's failures. But listen, what I'm, what Paul is saying by the Spirit is not that we don't recognize that there are consequences to our failures. There are consequences to your sins, everyone. And when you stumble and when, you, when, you, when your brokenness shows through even your redemption, you know, there are consequences to our brokenness. But, but here Jesus is, I mean, Paul is saying, when we walk by the Spirit and we listen to the Spirit, we don't gossip and shame. We basically try to help people repent and find God's forgiveness. And how do we do that, I think? I think we do it by showing them our forgiveness. It takes spiritual maturity to confront others in sin with kindness and forgiveness and not turn around and gossip about them and seek to shame them. So those of us that are mature, Paul says, in the Spirit, help the fallen sister, Help the fallen brother. And may gentleness be our tact, not harshness. It's so easy to be harsh. But here he's telling us, when you walk by the Spirit, man, you restore the broken one. You don't. And watch out for yourself, he says, lest you be tempted. Now, notice he doesn't say tempted in what? Tempted in what? You're helping the person who fell in? Maybe, right? Right? But I'm thinking maybe make sure you're tempted, not yourself, to towards arrogance or pride or to thinking somehow you're better than the person who fell. Number one there, he said, hey, walking by the Spirit means we just we try to restore the broken brother. We don't try to make it worse. We don't try to tear them down further. Number two, we become burden bearers, not burden givers. Look at verse two, Car- carry one another's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of the Messiah. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work and then can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Now, did you understand? The, the, did, you, did you catch that? Verse 2 says, carry one another's burdens. Verse 5 says, carry your own load. Did you see that? What, is, what does that mean? Well, it simply means this. Sometimes a burden becomes so big, you can't carry it on your own. Sometimes a burden becomes so heavy, life is so hard, you can't do it on your own. Your husband dies. Your son dies. You, you, you lose the house, the physical and emotional weight of such things you cannot bear. And so you know what happens? You know what's supposed to happen? This is where we come in we come in and we put our shoulder under that burden that somebody's bearing and we help hold it up because some burdens are so much that people can't carry them. And so the emotional pain is too great and the emotional loss is too much and and so we come along and we emotionally build them up or physically they they can't bear under the, the, the weight of a job loss and not being able to pay their bills and so the rest of us come in and we put our shoulder under it and we help carry that burden. When Shep died, that's what you and Anne did for me, and that's what you did for Anne and me. You came in, and you put your shoulder under it, and you helped carry us. When we do for each other that, here's what Paul says. Man, we fulfill the law that Messiah gave us. Remember what the law Messiah gave us was? Remember what it was? We are to love one another. He told us this, he said, the second greatest commandment is that you love others as you love yourself. We fulfill the commandments of Messiah when we carry each other's burdens. But then Paul says, don't become so arrogant or think you're something that that you don't carry your own load. Everybody has a load. Everybody has a, a load. The word here, load, is different than the first one. Load here is like a backpack. Everybody has a backpack to carry, is what he's saying. So none of us are too awesome that we can't take turns in the nursery. None of us are too wonderful that we can't pull our time teaching our children, you know, so that it's not the same four people teaching our children year after year after year because the rest of us prefer to be up here in big church, right? We all carry our load. We all help out. You know, none of us is too gifted to mow the grass, and none of us is whatever, <laughs> to clean the building, all right? Here's my point. This is Paul's point. Carry your load, everybody. There's chores. It's not my word. It's somebody else's word, but the church has chores, and, and we do have chores, and all of us are to carry our load, and then when we do that, when we do that, I mean, the church will be everything God, the, the this church will be spirit-led and spirit-filled, and, and we'll carry, we'll have extra because everybody's carrying their backpack We'll have extra strength to put our shoulder under those big loads that people have to carry from time to time. Number three, we give generously to care for our teachers, verse six. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. I found it funny that the person who wrote this made a point to never take a dime from anybody he was teaching if he was just going in for the first time. In other words, he's going in to plant a church. He's going in to tell people about Jesus for the first time. He would open up shop, shop as a tent maker. That's evidently what Paul did. And he would, he would be a tent maker so he could pay his bills. And I confess, I've worked hard not to make ministry, not to do ministry for money. I wasn't a tent maker. You guys have provided for me all these decades, but I made a decision early on that there were some things I could do. I didn't take money for weddings and funerals because you were supporting me. And so I could give those freely. But Paul tells us here that we need to provide for our teachers. And we should never forget that. Before I move on, let me say you guys have done just a wonderful job for Ann and me. You've, you've supplied our needs and, uh, and you have been faithful to Paul's words. Number four. We understand the principle of sowing and reaping verse 7. Don't be deceived. Remember this is this is living the Spirit-filled life. This is being led by the Spirit. Paul's giving us examples of what it looks like which by all means we should apply and the Spirit's going to lead us these ways too. So here's where the word of God is helping us know what the Spirit is going to be telling us. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternity. Eternal life from the Spirit. Paul draws on a common agric- agricultural principle. What we sow is what we get. So guys, if you sow corn seeds, you're not going to get tomato plants. Is that right? All you farmers? That's right, right? If you, if you sow cucumber seeds, you're not going to get squash. And he says, you cannot sow to your sinful desires and expect to reap eternal life. You cannot sow to the flesh. Remember we talked about that last week, the flesh. Lots of ways we can understand the word flesh, but the way that Paul uses it a lot is to reference those desires that, that, that are in our heart that are contrary to what we know God has written on our heart. And he says you can't sow to that and reap eternal life. If you sow to your flesh, he says, he says, you will reap destruction. Now I think that's metaphorical. I think it's metaphorical in the sense that you'll reap destruction, metaphorically speaking, in your life. You'll reap the destruction of your relationships if you sow to the flesh. You'll reap to the, the destruction of our community flourishing. You, you will reap the destruction of a flourishing church family if you live by the flesh, if I live by the flesh. You will, you will reap the destruction of peace and joy in your life if you sow to those things. And in the end, this isn't metaphorical in my opinion, in the end, you'll reap the destruction of your life. You'll die. You'll be destroyed. You'll perish. On the other hand, if you sow to the Spirit and you listen to the Spirit and you obey the Spirit, you will reap, and here's what he tells us, it's the fruit that you'll reap from that. And what is it? You'll reap joy. I mean, and I guess that's metaphorical, but I mean, you're going you're to reap joy in your life. You're going to reap peace in your life. You're going to reap love in relationships. You're going to reap gentleness and kindness in your character. And in the end, you're going to reap eternal life. You're going to get to live forever. At the resurrection from the dead, Jesus will raise you to live again embodied life in his kingdom forever. And this final admonition, don't miss it in verse nine, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time. If we don't give up, do you ever get tired of living by the spirit? You ever get tired and you want to just throw in the towel sometimes and say, man, I want to live by what I want to do. And I'm telling you, if that, if you're not owning that, I think you're being dishonest. And I don't mean that that happens all the time, and maybe it's only happened once in your life, but man, we're still broken. There's still a brokenness about us. Jesus is redeeming us. But I I think this happens. I think this is why Paul says, don't get tired in living by the Spirit, because you will reap in the proper time. In other words, when you feel like giving up, don't give up. Don't give up. And this is another agricultural principle. You always reap later than you sow. I mean, this is the first year, well, no, it's not, but this is the, the first year we've got two little gardens that we've planted, and we've planted uh, some sweet potatoes and some corn, and they're barely beginning, and uh, man, <laughs> they're barely beginning, and I don't know if they're going to make it, um, but here's my point about that. I'm hoping that one day we'll get to reap, but I don't expect to reap next week. I don't expect to reap the next... Actually, I don't expect to reap, (laughs) just being honest. Just being honest, I don't expect to reap, right? But let's just say everything went well, right? I'm not expecting to reap next week. I'm not expecting to reap in two weeks or three weeks. I mean, it takes time for these things to mature, to bring forth fruit. That's what Paul is saying. If you don't give up and you walk by the Spirit, even when you're tired and even when you don't want to, When you do that, you will reap the fruit of the Spirit. Good, wholesome, nourishing fruit. And one day, you'll reap eternal life. You'll reap eternal life with him. So don't quit sowing. Number five, we live in others' focused life. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Here Paul says, here's what walking by the Spirit means. It means living your life, working for the good of everyone. And that literally means everyone, unbelievers and beyond, because he then differentiates everyone by saying, especially those who are of the household of faith, especially them. But you do good for everybody is what he's saying. And so the mark of the spirit-filled life is that we just love people. And listen to this and we love our enemies. What should distinguish us? Jesus said, I'm going to read it to you in just a second, but Jesus said, if you love the people who love you, what good is that? How does that distinguish you from anyone? How does that mark you as my follower if all you do is love the people that love you? We're to love our enemies. That's what's to distinguish us. Here's Jesus on the subject. Hear him. Luke chapter six. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Just listen. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's Jesus. If someone slaps you on one cheek, cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The Spirit will lead us to do good to others, including our enemies. But he says, especially of the household of faith. So, so let, me not, let me talk about that for just a second. We are, we are to do good to our family. And this should be, he says, especially. So I think this is your priority over your enemies. We're to do good to one another. Someone recently asked, uh, or someone recently made the statement that... Um, that they love church or they, they came to church because, um, they were looking for friends and then they kind of made a statement back said, but but that's probably not the best reason to come to church. Oh, contraire. (laughs) That's French. Oh, contraire. (laughs) Contrary. Listen, church is the best place to find friends. And I think God created community because we're to do life together This is where we're to find our friends. So it's an awesome reason to come and be a part of a church so that you can do life with others who are following Jesus, who can take care of you and be a part of your life. It's one of the main reasons why we gather together as God's people, because we're coming to care for one another and to see each other's face. Because, you know, there's a lot of things you can hide that you can't hide in person. You know, when you're grieving... And, your, and in your countenance is weighed down. I mean, you can hide that when you're sitting at home watching us on the live stream. And if you're watching on the live stream, I'm glad you're getting to watch. But the live stream can be and should never be a substitute for you being a part of us in person week after week after week so that we can see your face and you can see ours and you can see where we are and you can help one another. It's why you should become a part of a, of a small group of people who love you and care for you and are doing life with you, you know? It's why you should be a part I think you should be a part of a home group, but it's why you should at least be part of a small group of people who know you and care for you and are doing life with you. Here's what Paul said to the Philippian believers. He said, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. This is the message, I believe. But I just wanted to make it different. I wanted to read different. But don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put it yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a, a helping hand. So as it relates to the family, don't be selfish. Prioritize others is what Paul is saying. I've told you this story many times, but the very first time I ever met Nathan Cecil's grandmother, was right back there in the corner, and then um, she didn't know me from Adam. I didn't know her. It was the first time I ever met her. And I don't know how we got to talking about this, but we were talking about music in, in, the, in the body of Christ today. And, um, and she said, uh, I think it's, her name is Glenda. And she said, Glenda said, she said, Jimmy, see, I'm not a biggest fan of the music that we're singing in, in my church now. She said, but it's not about me. Man, did you hear that? It's not about me. I think that's what Paul's saying here. When we walk by the Spirit, it's not about me. This doesn't mean that I don't have desires. It doesn't mean that I can't ever voice my opinion. That's not what Paul's saying. But she, Glenda went on, she said, it's not about me. And I have such a desire to reach the young people of this generation. She's in her 80s. and I'd never met someone. Well, I don't think I'd really ever met anybody who articulated so well this other-centered desire you know, especially when it came to preferences. This is living by the spirit and community. Number six, we choose the scandal of the cross to the safety of the crowd. We sang a song about this this morning. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you, Paul writes, in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who want to compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even circumcised, even the circumcised, that would be the Jews, don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I to the world. Paul has an M. Amenuensis, amanuensis amanuensis. I wrote it down there, amenuensis, pause an amanuensis. and amanuensis is someone who's writing this as he's dictating it, but we get to this part in the letter, and he says, here, let me have the pen, and he writes, he says, in his own handwriting, he says, see how big my letters are, which to me seems to imply that, remember the issue we talked about in this book, and another letter, it's probably his eyes, right, but, but he takes and he writes in his own hand. And here he says that the circumcised, those Jewish Christians who want you to be circumcised, who want you to keep the Sinai covenant, the only reason they're doing that is they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be persecuted. He said, they don't even keep the whole Sinai covenant. They just want you to be circumcised because that's the biggie amongst the Jews. And they won't persecute you if you get circumcised. And so that's what you ought to do. And by the way, guys, at this point, the persecution of the church is almost exclusively by Jews, almost exclusively by, by the Jewish community at this point. And he said, they want to boast that you are keeping the covenant. They boast that you have cut your flesh. And I think, remember we talked about flesh meaning different things. I think flesh means flesh here. They boast about the fact that you've cut the foreskin off. And here Paul says, I'd rather endure the scandal of the cross than have the safety of going along with that crowd. Basically, the persecutors are saying, go along with us and we'll spare you your life. We won't hurt you. Paul says, hurt me. I'm not denying the cross. Hurt me. I'm not denying Jesus. I won't boast in anything except the cross. I won't boast in anything except the death of Jesus. He says, I'm not boasting in in my covenant keeping. I'm boasting in the fact that Jesus kept the covenant for me. I'm boasting in the spirit. And then he continues, and through the cross, I have died to the world and the world has died to me. In other words, when Jesus was crucified, it was like I was crucified with him. I died to the world. Paul says, I consider myself dead to the world. You know, when I, when I was working on this this week, it made me think of Hebrews 11. That's the hall of faith, right? Remember that? And you remember it talks about how these men and women, they just were persecuted. And it talks about some of them by faith overcoming. But then there's a big list of all these people that they didn't overcome. They were killed. They were slaughtered, etc. And then in verse 35, it says, so uh, they would not compromise so that they might rise again to a better life life. And then in Hebrews eleven thirty eight, 38, it, it says this of them. And I think Paul would be a numbered amongst them. The author of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of them. And I think that's Paul. I don't care. He says, I don't care what it costs me. I, I'm not going to compromise because it's about the life to come with the Lord Jesus. They, they were willing to die to gain a better life. And the world was not worthy of them. If we live by the spirit, we boast in Jesus. If we live by the spirit, Jesus is our hero. He's the one we talk about. He's the one we point people to. We die in everything and we die to everything in order to follow him. It's the cross, the death of Jesus that makes our life and our future life and the forgiveness of our sins possible. Number seven, we walk and carry, we walk and live as a new creature. I'm almost done. Hang in there. We walk and live as a new creation, verse 15. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing, but what matters instead is a new creation. And this is it. This is, the cent- this is one of the central points of this letter I've made over and over and over again. You may disagree with me, but I think this is the core truth. There is no more covenant with national Israel. And he says it doesn't matter anymore whether you are circumcised or or uncircumcised. Doesn't matter whether you are Jewish or whether you are Gentile. The old covenant has been rescinded, a new one has begun, and it, circumcision plus or minus means nothing. It matters nothing. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because of health reasons or whatever. Somebody challenged me last week saying that there's a lot of health reasons to it, and I'd heard there wasn't. Turns out they were right. There's health reasons to it, right? But get circumcised for health reasons, but don't do it with regard to the covenant because it doesn't matter whether you get circumcised or not. Paul says what matters is that you are a new creation in the spirit. What matters is that you're born again. What matters is that you're a new man, a new woman in Jesus. That's what matters. Doesn't matter what your heritage is. Doesn't matter that old covenant doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you've been a pagan. What matters now is that you are a part of the new covenant and the new creation that's made in Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinth church He says, Therefore, if any man be in Jesus, if every man be in Yeshua, if any man be in the Messiah, He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Messiah reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that in the Messiah, God has reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Verse 16, may peace come to all those who follow the standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. And folks, I've said this again. I think this is Paul's point in Galatians' letter. We are the Israel of God. We are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Uh, We are Abraham's sons by faith. His seed, the promise was to Abraham and his seed, which was Jesus, Paul says in this letter. And we are the fulfillment of that promise. We are the Israel of God. May peace come to all those who are part of the Israel of God. Verse number eight, I'm finished. We bear the marks of a follower of Jesus. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah be with you, be with your spirit, amen. He ends this letter by appealing to the marks, the marks in his body. What are the marks in his body? Well, they're the scars, They're the scars of persecution. He said, he's basically saying, guys, listen to me. I bear in my, don't, don't trouble me. I bear in my body the marks of persecution. I I bear the scars of stoning. He was stoned in Galatia, left for dead, but he survived it. He bore those marks, those scars. I wonder what they are. I wonder if a, if a, if a stone hit him in the face and cut his face. And so there's a scar there. There's no plastic surgery. And so he's got a scar on his face or scars on his arm or whatever. He says, I, I bear the scars. The spirit-led life, the spirit life bears the marks of Jesus. Now, for those of us in our culture, those marks are probably not going to be physical marks of persecution. But I guarantee you throughout the world, we've got brothers and sisters who are bearing the marks of persecution. They've got the scars in their body. To prove that they followed Jesus, right? And that's not going to probably happen to most of us in our culture, but I think we can still bear the marks of the spirit-filled life or the spirit-led life. What are the marks? Do I tell you or do I wait for you to answer? What are the marks of the spirit-filled life? The marks of the spirit-filled life. Love. You should bear the mark of love in your life. Is that what's mar- Does that mark you? How about the mark of joy? Are you a joyful person? Are you a sourpuss? Seriously, are you being led by the Spirit so that what when people see you coming, they go, oh my goodness, here comes Debbie Downer. No offense, Debbie. Uh, <laughs> that's just an English idiom, okay? You know, do they see joy, peace? How about patience? Are you an irritable person, an angry person? Do you wear the marks? Do you bear the marks in your life of the Spirit person? Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you bear in your life the tree of the fruit of the Spirit? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at Baconscastle.com. Also check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.